You're going to love this. Just love it. Opa! From Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles, this is your broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, KYAQ 91.7 FM on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast, coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and of course, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling, action-packed adventure of the Bradcast. Good to have you here. Well, uh, we've got more today on our uh, continuing, unfortunately, our continuing series on This is What's the Matter with Kansas. <laughs> yes, uh, more on its wayward son, Chris Kobach, Secretary of State out there who is fighting like hell to keep voters from being able to cast their vote, or at least certain voters. And a decision this week, the beginning of the week at the Supreme Court, uh, will continue to, uh, it's actually a good decision, but it does mean that some 30,000 Kansas voters will be unable to vote in state elections in uh, in 2016, it looks like. So uh, we will get to that. Also, Trump mania continues uh, as uh, more and more folks are now telling the Donald, you're fired. But, uh, but not the Republican Party and not its primary voters. So we will get to all of that and more. We'll see what we have time for. I have a lot I'd love to get to. But first, there's been a lot going on while we've been otherwise hugely distracted by the huge stories out of the Supreme Court and South Carolina over the last couple of weeks from imminent financial disaster in Greece and maybe Puerto Rico. Uh, to the politics surrounding the proposed Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. Uh, so uh, a lot going on, and we need to do a lot of catching up. Here to catch us up on all of that and maybe more and explain what any uh, what any of it actually matters to the U.S. And why is our friend David Dayan, financial reporter and contributing columnist at Salon, New Republic, Fiscal Times, and just about everywhere else you can imagine. He has also appeared on MSNBC, CNN, NPR, and even occasionally here on the broadcast. Hey, David Day, and welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Brad, thanks for having me. Sure. All right. Now, uh, well, I guess we got to start in Greece. Uh, and, David, I am, like many people in this country, an American. <laughs> Therefore, 
I have no idea what's actually going on in Greece. So if you could explain to me, and I know it's a huge referendum coming up over the weekend with huge implications for Greece, for the Eurozone, maybe even for the United States, uh, because, you know, the reason we even hear about Greece is when all of a sudden everyone on Wall Street panics uh, as the Dow Jones drops 300 points. So uh, could you explain this to me, David, as if I was an American, why why Greece actually uh, why Greece actually matters and, and why this is rather huge what is going on over the weekend there? Right, right, right. Give me something easy. Yeah. So, J- uh, just the entire Greek what, history from the start. Go. <laughs> Let's start uh, yes. in, in with Pythagoras. Um, <laughs> so uh, we do have to go back a little bit, yep. uh, but only to 2010, mm-hmm. uh, basically, or even a little bit before that. Uh, so we have this thing called the euro, mm-hmm. right? And that's a common currency that's being used currently by, I think, 19 countries in Europe. Mm-hmm. And it's part of a larger political project, because the whole idea is if you bind Europe together and connect everybody, whether with a currency or greater integration, uh, then they won't continue to have world wars with one another. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really the the political project of the euro. Okay. So uh, the problem is is that countries have different needs, and... uh, What's good for Germany may not be good for Greece, and vice versa. And, and that's especially true when you're talking about finances and economics. So we have this common currency, and yet right now Greece is very depressed. It has a depressed economy, and it would benefit if they could devalue the, the value of their currency so that they could attract uh, uh, more more export, basically, uh, they, they could get more help for their, their economy through exporting goods at a cheaper cost that would be attractive to the world market. Now, now Greece Germany is, wants no part of that. Okay, well, uh, let me get back to Germany in a second, but Greece's, Greece's problems actually began, at least uh, <clears throat> as far as this is concerned, uh, when the global uh, economy collapsed, did it not, back in 2007, 2008, and at that time they held a, uh, they just had a, a huge debt, and Correct. So Greece kind of uh, fibbed their way into the euro by mm-hmm. saying that their finances were fine. It's actually Goldman Sachs played a role here. Mm. Uh, they um, got Greece to sort of lie about their, their, the state of their finances, and they got into the euro. And what basically happened is that uh, the rest of Europe, particularly the northern European countries, saw an opportunity to sell a bunch of goods to the Greeks mm-hmm. and invest. Uh, in 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 their country, and so all this money flowed into Greece until the financial crisis when it all stopped, and then Greece had to pay back all this money that was flooded in for investment mm-hmm. into their country. And so that's really what happened. It wasn't that that Greece was. I mean, Greece was a little bit profligate, uh, and 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 they they weren't exactly spendthrifts, but uh, the northern European countries have a a role to play because as I and I'm going to say this with regards. Mm-hmm. To Puerto Rico, when we start talking about it, there are two sides to a debt contract. Yeah. There is the borrower and there is the lender. So the borrower cannot be irresponsible without the lender also being irresponsible to lend the money to someone that is probably not very credit worthy. Uh, so, uh, you know, these things usually tend to, to turn into morality plays, but. 
Uh, if you're going to do that, you can't just say, well, Greece did the wrong thing, and they, they borrowed too much money, and they borrowed more money than they could reasonably be able to pay back. Uh, the lenders lent the money that they mm-hmm. when they knew that Greece didn't have a reasonable chance of paying it back. And, so, and, and, yeah. and we'll talk a little bit about that in regard to uh, <clears throat> Puerto Rico in a second and the vulture yeah. funds uh, that have moved Absolutely. in there. Um, because you're right. I mean, usually when these fiscal crises, crises happen, whether it's in Greece, whether it's in Puerto Rico, whether it's here in our own country, it's always... It's always the borrowers who are blamed. There is almost, you know, never any pressure put onto the lenders. So I do want to talk about that. But absolutely, in Greece, and, and that, yeah. that, here's why that matters in yeah. Greece. So Greece can't pay back this uh, tremendous amount of debt that they've acquired, and Germany basically run, uh, controls uh, the institutions that have lent that that Greece owes money to mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, Germany through the European Union, the European institutions, but it's basically Germany. I mean, uh, let's let's boil it down. Right. And Germany sees Greece as the lazy brother, uh, the 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 spend thr- uh, the, the, the 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 people in the southern region of Europe that are are need to reform themselves and 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 get on the right foot, like good you know, mm-hmm. and and particularly. Uh, with with regard to their fiscal policies, so they're saying not only do you have to pay us back, but you have to completely change your economy and cut your budgets com- uh, by tremendous amounts, and uh, you know cut your pensions, uh, do labor market reforms, which is like a euphemism for uh, neoliberal basically policies, mm-hmm. uh, and do all these things. And we're not going to let you out of this straitjacket of debt until you do that. And they required so, huge uh, uh, tax increases. They're now requiring like a 25% of VAT uh, sales tax as well. Yeah, the sales tax, yeah. which is a regressive tax. So uh, Greece six months ago put Syriza, the far-left party, into power uh, specifically uh, on a platform of stopping this austerity. I mean, the problem with the series of platforms, they said, we want to stop this austerity and stay in the euro, which actually wasn't tenable. They mm-hmm. didn't have a lot of cards to play here. But uh, there was no way that Germany, uh, leading these European institutions, was going to let Syriza uh, off the hook from austerity. So Syriza basically, over the last week, played their last card. And their last card to play was, we're going to call a referendum because they have been negotiating on this, on extending this bailout that mm-hmm. has been ongoing since 2010, uh, which has caused an absolute economic depression inside Greece. I mean, Greece has had over 25% unemployment for three years. Think about that and, and, and how, mm-hmm. that would re- how we would react in this country if we had over 25% unemployment for three straight years, and much of the cause was that our outside creditors were telling us that we had to cut, 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 cut budgets in the middle of a depression. Right. right. In other words, they uh, imposed, they, they got this bailout uh, after the, uh, well, at least three years ago and sort of in the wake of the uh, uh, the, the global economy uh, yeah. being trashed. Five and years ago. I mean, 2010 five, it started and in 2012 it was renewed. And so in exchange for that bailout, they agreed to these radical austerity measures, right? Uh, budget cuts and everything else. Which have been completely 
completely devastating economically. It was literally a self-immolation of the Greek economy. Well, that's the question and that's I had. why it, yeah. the conditions were created for Syriza to take over power. The problem is, is that these European institutions want Syriza to suffer because they want to snuff this out. If an anti-austerity party is successful mm-hmm. in one country in the Eurozone, that's going to tell the rest of the Eurozone that they don't have to live under these conditions anymore. So, so austerity uh, didn't help there. It doesn't help in the U.S. I mean, I, right. I don't know if it ever helps. You have to spend money, I guess, to be able to make money. And basically, Germany and uh, and the Eurozone just won't let uh, Syriza and, and the Greeks ease up on any of this at this point? Right. And this has turned into really more of a, a test of wills at this point. So, so Syriza says, we're going to call a referendum. Uh, the, the European uh, leadership basically mm-hmm. says, all right, this referendum is about, you know, it says, are you going to accept our proposal? But what it really is, if there's a no vote, you're out of the euro. And to, to underline that, they put the uh, Greek banks, which were being kept afloat by the European Central Bank, under uh, so much stress uh, that they had to institute uh, what they call capital controls. And what that means is that uh, if you're in Greece right now, the banks are closed all week, and you can only take out 60 euro a day uh, maximum from an ATM. Uh, and so there's been sort of a, a, you know, they don't call it a bank run, they call it a bank jog, <laughs> because it's a slow-motion bank run. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what's been going on in Greece for the last week. And so... Uh, there's there's indications that the the European institutions have basically stage managed this to create a sense of chaos as sort of a prelude to what they claim would happen if Greece left the euro, uh, and this has caused panic and 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 a fair bit of chaos within Greece, and uh, and and a- actually what happened today or in the last 24 hours is that Syriza basically blinked, said they would accept a lot of the terms of uh, the, 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 you know, in order to get a new bailout, mm-hmm. they would accept, uh, you know, the, the same basic austerity that, that was put on the table previously. And uh, Merkel, sensing her advantage, the Chancellor of Germany, said, well, we're not going to do any negotiation until after the referendum. And what does the referendum... So clearly, yeah, the referendum is, is whether or not to accept a proposal which is no longer on the table. I mean, it's a really <laughs> strange referendum. Yeah. But I think what the Greeks know is that this is a referendum on whether to stick with Europe or to go on, on their own. So path. the referendum is actually yes or no to accept the proposal from the IMF, uh, headed up by Merkel at this point. Uh, from the three from they the, call the Troika, the, okay. the IMF, the European Union, the European Central. And, and basically says, uh, these are the new terms of, of the agreement. Right. Take it or leave it. Yeah. Uh, it's basically whether or not to give up the entire democratic authority of the country. And, oh, there's and, that. And say, we're going to be ruled by a, a group of technocrats who we didn't elect, who are in Brussels or in Berlin, mm-hmm. and uh, we're basically going to, to undermine our own our own democratic process in the cradle of democracy. And the uh, and yet it looks like that's what's going to be done. Uh, I, I I do believe that that Syriza has kind of mismanaged this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they are not they they aren't seemingly not ready. There's an internal contradiction in Greece where nobody wants austerity, but nobody wants to leave the euro either. Mm. And nobody really wants to make that choice. 
And so when given this choice between, and what clearly the European institution said is between austerity or the euro, they appear to be leaning on the edge of, of choosing austerity. And I think part of it is that Syriza has been so haphazard in their approach that they're, I don't think there's a lot of confidence that uh, leaving the euro would would end up being a, a positive step. David Dan, you write at your uh, in your article at Salon on Tuesday, the end of Europe as we know it. Why Greece is poised to change everything this weekend? You write the referendum finally offers the Greek public a real choice, not a fantasy of available options. Essentially, euro or drachma in or out. If they vote yes, they stay in the euro. If they vote no, they most likely end up moving back to the drachma and uh, right. getting their independence back, if you will, yeah. from the eurozone. I mean, the problem is Syriza isn't saying that. But Syriza is saying, mm -hmm. okay, if you vote no and we want you to vote no, then we can go back to the negotiating table with a stronger hand, which is ridiculous. I mean, uh, that that's clearly not true. Okay, the reaction to a no vote will be, we're going to blow up your banking system, basically. So uh, that, that, that's really the problem is there's just a failure of leadership on all sides here, and, and seemingly uh, there will be this, this absolute surrender uh, if, if a yes vote comes in, and, 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 and the terms will be worse than whatever it is they voted on, mm. uh, probably, too. It's, it's really a sad situation. It is a sad situation, and I guess we find out uh, after the weekend how this uh, begins to play out, but it sounds like you're suggesting this is going to be a yes vote and things are going to get a lot worse before they get any better in Greece at this point. That's what it seems like, uh, and that would probably spell the end of Syriza as a, as a leading political mm -hmm. party within Greece mm -hmm. and, uh, and probably would snuff out any oxygen for other anti-austerity parties within Europe. It, I, it's really a, a, a devastating scenario for uh, the side that looks at reality in terms of economics, I, <laughs> that, that you can't just keep, keep putting this grinding austerity on a country that's in the middle of a depression and expect different results. That's what's amazing to me. And yet the people of Greece, if they vote yes, they're essentially saying, yes, more austerity, please, no matter that it hasn't worked for years on end at this point. It's All right. almost the devil you know. Oh, maybe the so. The devil you know. Yeah, I guess it's the a... The devil you don't know, which is we go out of the, the, the euro mm -hmm. and then we have the drachma, and uh, in the short term, we have no access to credit, so we have to uh, maybe put in more austerity in the short term. Uh, we lose uh, the ability to get imports. Uh, the, the biggest export product in Greece is refined petroleum. They might not be able to get the oil in uh, under that scenario with the drachma. So, uh, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat the, the idea that the, other, the second option is a good one. Uh, uh, there are no good options for the Greek people. And, um, and yet, as you write at Salon, uh, Greece leads the world throughout history in debt defaults, so this is not that unusual. Uh, the fact no. that they uh, defaulted on a $1.5 billion euro payment uh, that was due at the IMF this week. But you on also Tuesday. note on Tuesday, yeah, that, uh, but you also note that <clears throat> they have an economy roughly the size of the city of Atlanta. And, and yet... All of this sturm und drang across the, uh, not just Europe, uh, Europe, but across the world right. over what may or may not happen in Greece. Okay, let me move on since we're <clears throat> running late here on time. The um, 
Uh, a, a similar situation seems to be playing out in Puerto Rico, if I read your article at the New Republic today correctly. Don't reward the greedy vulture funds who recklessly invested in Puerto Rico. How How is the case uh, similar to there, and uh, how does that compare to uh, to not just to Greece, but other cases where we've seen these uh, these vultures come in and essentially take advantage of failing economies uh, or economies that they help yeah. to fail. Yeah, this is another uh, depressed economy scenario uh, for a variety of reasons. Puerto Rico has been contracting as an economy since 2006. Uh, they've been borrowing lots and lots of money. And finally this week, the governor of Puerto Rico said that they have no ability to pay it back, that it's not payable, uh, and that they need to restructure this debt. The problem is, uh, that unlike Greece, this is not a sovereign nation. Mm -hmm. They can't appeal to the IMF. Uh, they are a, a commonwealth of the United States. And, and uh, you go, go ahead and go to Congress and ask if the, they're going to give Puerto Rico a bailout on its $72 billion, uh, and you'll, you'll elicit a lot of laughter. <laughs> um, also, even though it's considered municipal debt, much like Detroit mm -hmm. or any, any locality, uh, that, that issues bonds to cover its obligations, um, it is not eligible under U.S. law for the Chapter 9 bankruptcy process. You know, Detroit got itself in trouble, and they went into bankruptcy, and they had an orderly uh, uh, restructuring of their debt obligations, and, and, and you know, the, the, the creditors took what they could get. Uh, Puerto Rico can't do that. So because of all these constraints, uh, once again, you have to look to, well, why were the lenders lending Puerto Rico all this money that there was no reasonable way that they were going to be able to pay back. Puerto Rico has more debt than all but two states right now. And this is a country of three million, well, it's a commonwealth of three million people. Uh, and only New York and California have more debt uh, uh, than, than Puerto Rico. And uh, what's happened is, is that a lot of this debt has been sold to these distressed debt investors, uh, i.e. vulture funds, mm -hmm. um, at a steep discount. So they've bought up this, this, these, these bonds, this debt, uh, very cheaply with the idea that they know what the law is and that they're going to be very likely to have, be paid back in a sort of a forced scenario. And they basically gouged the, the Puerto Rican people with high interest rates uh, and, and continued to lend uh, with, without any concept that, that, you know, this would be a bad idea, particularly for the 3 million U.S. citizens that live on the island. Uh, and uh, they're, they're, that's how it's going to go. And, so, and yeah. it's, a, it's, it's a common uh, game that is played by these vultures. Uh, Absolutely. Gre Greg Pallast wrote a, wrote a book about it. We've talked to uh, our friend Pallast about this uh, for many years now. These vulture funds, uh, these, these, these hedge funds, they come in, they know there's going to be problems, they know they're going to uh, you know, basically uh, get all of this at an extraordinary discount, and if they don't get uh, paid back, they start taking all kinds of property in return. This has been done all around the world. Now we're doing it to our own, I guess, yeah, these are U.S. citizens, right, in Puerto Rico. Absolutely. They're U.S. citizens. Mm -hmm. A Puerto Rican citizen can run for president. But, uh, they, they don't get a vote, but mm -hmm. they can't run. But they can run. Uh, you, and you say so, that uh, Congress would laugh at them uh, if they asked for a $72 billion bailout. Congress, I guess, would similarly laugh at them 
if they simply asked for the same bankruptcy protection that was enjoyed by, as you mentioned, Detroit or even, you know, Donald Trump four different times. Right. That's what needs to happen. I mean, there, there are too many investors. There's too much money tied up here. Uh, there's no way to run uh, deals out of court with each one of these hedge funds or, or these, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, invest, investment banks like Franklin, Franklin Templeton and Oppenheimer, which still are mutual funds that still have a lot of the, the, the Puerto Rican debt. Uh, there is a bill in Congress been introduced by Chuck Schumer and Richard Blumenthal to give uh, Puerto Rico access to Chapter 9 bankruptcy. Uh, we're obviously in a Republican Congress, but uh, Nancy Pelosi has expressed support for it. The president has said that he would take a look at it, and that's really what needs to happen here. Everybody needs to share in the sacrifice. By the way, uh, they the the hedge funds got this debt at such a discount that they would make out they would come out ahead in a bankruptcy process in all likelihood uh, over certainly over the long term, uh, even if they took had to take a haircut and uh, relieve, mm-hmm. you know, take some of the burden here, considering that they, you know, made as many bad choices as uh, the Puerto Rican government did. Uh, the, the idea that the burden should all be placed on the citizens of Puerto Rico with, with you know, uh, slashing their minimum wage mm-hmm. or putting in higher taxes, higher sales taxes, things like that, the same kinds of austerity programs that we're seeing in Greece, uh, is, is untenable. And, and, and it doesn't need to go that way uh, if, if there would just be some sanity here. And uh, we don't have Congress, by their neglect, basically engineer a bailout for a bunch of hedge funds who bought a bunch of debt cheaply. But isn't this about, uh, in the end, there will be, you know, about a, a small handful of people who just happen to fund the powers that be in these United States, in the U.S. Congress, that they are going to make money. That, uh, you know, you can uh, explain all the common sense you want, David Day, and we can look at all of the data we want, that austerity programs don't work. The people who are pulling the strings here don't give a damn because uh, their benefactors are going to be making money out of the pain that comes to uh, that comes to Puerto Rico, and it doesn't matter how many examples are shown of how austerity uh, programs simply don't work. When you got you know these hedge fund vultures like Paul Sing- Singer making billions, literally billions of dollars off of these type of crises, I, I they're just and going to definitely continue. Definitely a, a screw you, pay me scenario. Yep. I mean the the Constitution of Puerto Rico says that general obligation bonds get paid out first, above anything, above you know, uh, uh, pensions uh, to citizens or a- any other kind of benefit. So they're going to get paid. They're, they, if, and if, if Puerto Rico says it's not payable, they're going to go to court and they're going to get an injunction, and any money that flows into the Puerto Rican Treasury is going to go right back out to, to, to the pockets of these hedge fund vulture funds. So Same. Uh, that's that's likely what's uh, going to happen. It's going to be a protracted scenario. It's going to take years. But uh, unless those those powers that be, uh, you know, decide to, to compromise in some fashion, that, that's probably what we're looking at. And uh, very quickly here, <clears throat> we're up against mm-hmm. the clock, David Dayan. Uh, the last time we spoke to you, the uh, uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, fast, the fast-track uh, approval program for this was moving, and Congress was actually being blocked for a few 
uh, desperately short second seconds in right. in Congress by uh, by some Democrats, and now. It looks like Fast Track for Trans-Pacific Partnership has been approved in the House, has been approved in the Senate. Um, and the only thing stopping it, I guess, from moving forward is sort of a vague promise from Republicans that they would put forward this uh, a TAA program that essentially uh, is a fund, and help me if I'm explaining this correctly, a fund to help those who have lost their jobs due to uh, international trade partnerships, deals, yeah. trade deals like and, and the TPP. Did, and that did pass. And, uh, so, so we're done. Um, the, yesterday, the president signed both bills. Um, so Fast Track is in effect uh, for the next six years. Fast Track is in effect. Uh, the Trade Adjustment Assistance Program has been uh, reauthorized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're just waiting for the first of, of what could be several trade deals to be finalized. Uh, and then under Fast Track, there is a process where uh, the text of the agreement will go up on a website for 60 days before uh, the president can actually finalize and sign the agreement. Uh, after he signs, there's a 30-day process whereby Congress gets to take a look, and then they have to hold a vote without the possibility of amendment and without the possibility of filibuster, an up or down vote that has to get to the floor. Uh, you know, basically, if you put those two together, within 90 days of the completion of the agreement with the negotiating partners. And so, is there anything that stops it uh, at this point? Uh, uh, this up or down vote uh, happens for TPP and some other uh, similar deals. Right. Anything, uh, well, any roadblocks uh, in the way at know, this point? The two roadblocks are, one, uh, other countries, uh, if they refuse to agree to some of these negotiating terms. Today in uh, Politico, uh, there's a leaked chapter of how this uh, TPP, the first deal on order, would have devastating effects for uh, the ability of poor countries to receive generic drugs and uh, access to life-saving medicines. Yeah, but it's uh, great it's, news for big pharma, David. Exactly, exactly. Once so, again. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of both right there, whether other countries will agree to these changes to their laws. And number two, uh, sunlight. And uh, if once these agreements go up on the website and, and we will know exactly what's in them, will there be an, uh, enough of an outcry to, you know, I mean, this thing only passed 218 to 210 mm-hmm. in the House. And so uh, can you flip some people once you get the real text of what's in here and uh, change the outcome in the House of Representatives? That's, that's probably the only thing. I mean, the, the Senate was, you know, now it's, there's no filibuster available, so uh, the Senate would uh, likely pass whatever agreement comes out. But the so, House could, <clears throat> four votes, essentially, uh, yeah, could change this in the House. Conceivably, yeah. there's a chance to flip there, if there are, especially if there are very toxic things. Uh, within the agreement that come out once it's published. And as it's happening in the middle of an election year, I think uh, a lot of stuff Absolutely. is a lot more toxic than it might be in other years. Absolutely. So, so, uh, Sherrod Brown uh, said mm-hmm. to me that he, he actually quoted Trent Lott, the old uh, Republican majority leader, who said, trade deals don't pass in even-numbered years. Mm. So when when pu- the public is actually paying attention, mm-hmm. uh, it's much harder to get a trade deal through. That's why they want to do quickly this yep. agreement 
and then get it uh, done sometime, you know, probably right before the Thanksgiving or Christmas recess and so nobody's paying attention. Before the even-numbered year is upon us. David Dayan, exactly. uh, thank you, sir. You can uh, find, you can and should find his work over at Salon, including uh, his latest, The End of Europe as We Know It, Why Greece is Poised to Change Everything This Weekend, and over at The New Republic today, Don't Reward the Greedy Vulture Funds Who Recklessly Invested in Puerto Rico. You should also follow him on the Twitters at D. Dayan. David, always great to talk to you, my friend. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks a lot. You bet. Okay, a quick break, and then we're back with What's the Matter with Kansas? Yes, there's more The Matter with Kansas. And Trump mania continues. Seriously, you're not going to want to miss it. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned or you're fired. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done lay your weary head to rest don't you cry no more you see that's that's kansas Des. Oh. you understand see that's kansas kansas the group the group and we're going to talk about kansas and ah. about its wayward son chris oh. kobach and we're also going to talk about new york's wayward son donald trump in a moment welcome back to the bradcast brad friedman of bradblog.com okay let's start in kansas uh, because this is a decision that uh, happened at the Supreme Court earlier this week that a lot of people don't know because there was so much else that uh, happened at the Supreme Court this week. But I want to make sure that we get this out because this is a story we have been covering at Bradblog.com now for years. Secretary of State Chris Kobach, with K's on both names, by the way, for the state of Kansas, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, uh, he's Secretary of State of Kansas, elected in 2010. He was reelected in 2014, so we are told. He ran to stop voter fraud in the great state of Kansas back when he was originally elected in 2010. <clears throat> but he hasn't actually been able to find any actual voter fraud since taking office. Now he's been there five years. He can't come up with pretty much anything. So he's a far right wing Republican. He's a political operative. That's what he is. And he's in control of the state of Kansas, at least the, in control of the voting system. He's also the guy, by the way, who wrote the Arizona Papers, Please law that was subsequently found unconstitutional by the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, require allowing a police to pretty much walk up to anybody they want and say, papers, please. And, uh, you know, deport them if they didn't look American enough. 
He's also the guy who implemented the photo ID restrictions in Kansas, despite any actual evidence of any actual voter fraud in that state that might have been deterred by photo ID restrictions at the polling place. And he's also the guy who has been forcing newly registered voters to show proof of citizenship. Never mind this whole innocent before proven guilty thing. If you don't figure out where to come up with papers that prove your citizenship in Kansas, you're not going to get to vote. Well, at least it depends on how you register to vote. Uh, there's a difference between whether you register uh, on the state form or on the federal form. I'll get to that in a second. But when he came up for re-election in uh, last year, 2014, he was Chris Kobach was repeatedly, uh, I'm sorry, reportedly tied with his Democratic challenger in the week before the election. But he went on to win by, let's see, a remarkable 18 points on the voting system that he oversees. Wait a second. I, I, let yes. me just make sure I understand that yeah. right. So a week before the election, he was tied, tied with his challenger. According to KSN-TV's Survey USA poll. That's and right. then on the day of the election, he won with a huge 18-point lead. That's correct. He won That's quite a swing. 18 points. Yeah, wow. it is. Uh, and it's uh, remarkable, unless you know how these electronic voting systems uh, work that they use in Kansas, where they don't bother to actually count the paper ballots. They just run them through optical scan machines. Uh, or they force people to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. You know, hey, that happens. That's American uh, elections uh, 2015. Whatever it is the Secretary of State tells you are the results are the results, even if it is the Secretary of State talking about his own election. In any event, <clears throat> not even uh, talking about that specifically, the question is, uh, you know, how many in Kansas did not even get to cast their vote or if they cast it on a provisional ballot, had that ballot thrown out in uh, in 2014. And that could have made the difference that could have made the 18 point difference in Chris Kobach's race because there were some 30,000 voters who are perfectly uh, legal voters or at least they should be perfectly legal voters who are no longer allowed to vote in uh, in state elections in Kansas. And I will explain why. The On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear a new case on voter registration in Arizona and Kansas. Now, this, uh, th this case, this challenge that uh, Chris Kobach brought was an appeal to a lower court case. And basically, it's Arizona and Kansas because he works very close with the state of Arizona, and they passed a similar law in the state of Arizona. Uh, as it was reported in the Topeka Capital Journal, Kansas residents can register to vote using a federal form without having to provide proof of citizenship under Monday's U.S. Supreme Court ruling, but they won't be allowed to vote in state and local elections unless they provide that proof. The high, the high Court declined to hear Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach's appeal of a lower court ruling that partially blocked Kansas's attempt to implement tougher voter registration standards. So here's what happened. So he decides, Chris Kobach decides, that uh, everyone in Kansas needs to, when they register to vote, they need to pre present some form of proof uh, that they are a citizen of this country. Everyone. 
new voters in any event. If you got in before the deadline, you're in, baby. But after that, anyone who's come in uh, since Chris Kobach essentially has become Secretary of State must submit a birth certificate. you got to find a birth certificate. Or you got to pay for a passport. Or other papers that document that you are actually a U.S. citizen. Why is he doing this? Well, because you know how many non-U.S. citizens go to, uh, go to vote at the polls. Zero. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Pretty much none are, are willing to risk, uh, you know, thousands of dollars in fines, years in jail, deportation. Not many illegal immigrants in this country on purpose go in, give their uh, give their address to the uh, state or federal government. So it's just it, it very rarely happens when it does happen. It's almost always an accident where uh, someone who didn't know they were not allowed to vote, a, a non-citizen who might be here legally, might go to get a driver's license legally and is handed uh, uh, the, the papers and they sign up to register to vote. Most of them never actually do vote. But occasionally we do see some of them, very few, minuscule amount, uh, you know, actually turn out to vote. A few more of them, similarly minuscule amount, actually registered to vote. Yeah, and wasn't there a statistic about that only 20 actual cases of voter fraud have been found in the last, what, 10, 15 years? Well, it depends where you're looking. There actually is voter fraud, but it's done by absentee ballot voter fraud when it's done. It's almost never done at the polls, and it's almost... Never, ever, ever done at the polls by claiming you are someone who you are not, by claiming that you are, uh, you know, a, a, a dead person or that you're voting in someone else's name. That's the only type of fraud that can be blocked by photo ID restrictions. But this one, you don't even get in the door. Never mind having a photo ID. If you don't have citizenship papers that you have turned in to Chris Kobach, you don't get to vote. Uh, in Kansas elections. So what what he had done was uh, he, he brought this new law. He went to court. The court said, well, wait a minute. There is a federal registration form that was passed uh, years ago with the uh, motor voter law that allows anyone. It's a common form that you can fill out no matter what state you live in, and you can be registered to vote in the state that you live in. And basically, Chris Kobach said, no, 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 Kansas is no longer going to accept that federal form because that federal form has a checkbox, I think, that says, yes, I am a citizen. But it doesn't give notice that you are required to provide proof of citizenship with papers and so forth. And there were lawsuits and this went all the way up to the Supreme Court about two years ago. And the Supreme Court said, no, you you can't uh, ignore people who have registered via the federal form just because they haven't given proof of citizenship. The federal form doesn't have any message on it about requiring the proof of citizenship. You, Chris Kobach, can go to the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. They're the ones who make the form. And ask them to put that checkbox, you know, put that requirement on there. Hey, if you live in uh, Kansas or Arizona, you must also uh, supply uh, proof of citizenship papers. But no, you can't just throw out registrations because they came in via the federal form without uh, citizenship papers. So that was uh, a couple of years ago. And since then, Chris Kobach went to the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, asked them to add this uh this requirement, the uh, EAC said, no, we're not going to. There's no reason to do that. We're not going to do that. We're not going to make a special exception for Kansas and Arizona simply because you want to suppress the vote. And then Chris Kobach went back to court with another frivolous lawsuit. And he was denied. 
And then he went all the way to the Supreme Court and he was denied again this Monday. They said, no, we're not going to hear this case. But what that means is Chris Kobach decided, OK, then if you sign up to vote with the uh, with the federal form without giving us proof of citizenship papers, you can vote. But you can only vote in federal elections. You're not going to get to vote in state or local elections. Because here at the state and local level, that's our state and local law. You have to give uh, citizenship papers. So, I mean, it's really a mess. So the the people who have uh, registered to vote in Kansas using the federal form, uh, who haven't provided uh, citizenship documentation, it's pretty minuscule. It's only about 300 voters. But those 300 voters will get to vote in federal elections. They just won't get to vote in state elections. Meanwhile, those people who have registered using the state form, uh, you can vote in both state and federal elections, but only if you give the proof of citizenship papers, which means that some 30,000, 30,000 registered voters as of this Monday, they're registered, legally registered, except they haven't given proof of citizenship papers, so they're going to be in for a big surprise when they show up in 2016 to vote and find out, nope, you're not welcome to vote because you haven't given us your papers, please. This is the extent to which Chris Kobach is delighted to go to uh, keep people, to keep legal voters from being able to cast their legal vote. And why? Oh, it's all because we want to make sure that non-citizens aren't diluting the votes of others. How many non-citizens? Oh, almost none. (laughs) almost no non-citizens are voting. So, you know, to stop five or 10 or even 20 or 50 or even 100 non-citizens from casting their vote, we are willing to disenfranchise more than 30,000 voters. And, of course, they know that that most of those voters tend to be uh, Democratic-leaning voters who can't find, you know, who are students, who don't have easy access to their birth birth certificates or their passports, or they can't afford it. They don't have the money to go out and spend $100 on a passport. So that's the kind of voter suppression that is going on in the state of Kansas, and uh, it is going to continue to go on in the state of Kansas unless something happens, unless a lawsuit is brought. But the good news here is that the Supreme Court has told uh, Kobach to go to hell, at least uh, in his attempt to uh, to keep these uh, people from voting in federal elections if they use the federal form, but didn't turn in their uh, citizenship papers. Anyway, that's just a little bit more on what is the matter with Kansas. And it is uh, really stupid and really bad. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with yet another wayward son, Donald Trump in New York City, uh, as as his uh, prospects for president get interestinger and interestinger. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Please stay tuned. Yep. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know, speaking of fraud, 
actual voter fraud that is sanctioned apparently by the uh, by uh, by Major League Baseball. Um, the the All Star Game is coming up July 14, and uh, depending on when you hear this broadcast, uh, if this is before July 2nd, yeah, July 2 at 8:59 p.m. Uh, you can go vote for the uh, for the All Star uh, for the All Star Game for the for the ballot for who's going to be in the All Star Game. Now everybody knows that, but what you may not have known is that uh, you can vote up to thirty five times. Someone sent me this uh, an All Star Game ballot notice coming from the San Francisco Giants, uh, urging their uh, urging their supporters to get out and vote. Fans around the world can cast their votes for position starts 35 times by visiting sfgiants.com slash votes. person who sent it to me said, voting 35 times each for the all-star players? What message are we sending to the kids of America? Anyway, go vote your heart out. But don't do it more than 35 times because that would be just wrong. Uh, Donald Trump, we, I know it seems like maybe we're obsessed with Donald Trump on this program, and uh, kind of we are, because I think uh, he and Bernie Sanders are the most interesting thing going on right now in this, uh, in this presidential race. Uh, but if his very first day out of the box and what has happened since then to him is any indication of the type of president he might be, uh, I think voters might want to uh, go running from him. Of course, uh, Republican voters seem to be doing quite the opposite of that. But as far as his statements and as far as what has happened to him and as far as how many people now have fired the Donald uh, since his statement on his very first day announcing, well, here's, here's what he said uh, on the day that he announced that he was running for president. When do we beat Mexico at the border? They're laughing at us, at our stupidity. And now they are beating us economically. They are not our friend, believe me. And these are the best and the finest. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems. And they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some I assume are good people. Some, some I assume are good, except for all the rapists. Uh, a lot has gone downhill for Donald Trump since making that comment, since calling Mexicans rapists. He tried, although he failed, to walk it back a little bit on Sunday with Jake Tapper on CNN. Here's here's a piece of that exchange. Mexico is smart. They've outnegotiated us to a fairly well. They're going to be the capital of automobiles pretty soon, the way they're going. I respect what they're doing. I think it's great. I like Mexico. I love the Mexican people. I do business with the Mexican people. Some of the, my best friends are Mexican people. people. Coming through the border that are from all over. And they're bad. They're really bad. I've spoken to border guards and I said, how bad is it? They said, Mr. Trump, you have no idea how bad. You have people coming in, and I'm not just saying Mexicans. I'm talking about people that are from all over that are killers and rapists. I mean, they're coming into this country. Let me talk to you for, about that for one second. The, the government of Mexico called those comments prejudicial and absurd. And I, I, I think that what they're objecting to is the idea that of the 11 million undocumented workers, illegal immigrants, whatever you want to call them in this country, that you're painting them with a very broad brush 
rapists, criminals, when that's well, probably I, I a very small percentage. No, no. Well, I don't think it's a small percentage. It's a lot. But it's not Mexicans necessarily. They're coming from all over. Yeah. And so it's not just Mexicans that he's uh, here to insult. It's pretty much everyone in South America. Uh, he would make a great president, wouldn't he? Just insult everyone in the world. Can you imagine international negotiations yeah. with him yeah. <laughs> causing an international incident pretty much every day? Now, since those comments, NBC has fired the Donald. They told him, you're fired. Trump, Mr. Trump, you're out. Uh, they've, they've ended his uh, apprentice show. They dropped his Miss Universe pageant. They've told him to take a hike just based on those comments, just based on his first day out as a candidate for president of the United States. And now the Mexican media company in charge of sending contestants to the Miss Universe pageant has also dropped out of the event that is coming up, by the way, July 12, even before the uh, the All-Star game. <laughs> and so I don't know how many times you get to vote in the Miss Universe pageant. In any case, that's coming up. Mexico has said, yeah, we're, we're not going to send anybody to Trump's beauty pageant because he called uh, Mexican immigrants rapists and killers and drug dealers. So uh, Mexico is out. Univision is out. NBC is out. They were going to broadcast the show. They're not going to do that anymore. And now... The two co-hosts of the show have quit. Professional dancer Cheryl Burke announced on Tuesday she's withdrawing as co-host thanks to Republican presidential candidates' derogatory comments towards Mexican immigrants. Uh, she wrote in a Facebook post, she said that she could not, in good conscience, participate in the event, quote, in light of the recent statements made by Donald Trump and the subsequent decision by NBC to cut ties with him. Man, he's a hell of a negotiator, isn't he, that Trump? He's doing a great job for himself. He's lost all of his jobs. Uh, in a statement on Tuesday, Miss USA organizers insisted the event will go on as planned, though it currently has no broadcaster and, oh, it also has no host. Because Cheryl Burke was one host and the other, Bur uh, the other host was NBC's uh, newsman, Thomas Roberts. And he said he was also relinquishing his hosting duties. So it but don't worry, the pageant is going to go forward. No broadcasters and no host just days from now. I'll host it. Uh okay, and don't look at me that way, Des. I'll I'll host it. <laughs> Are they paying? I could use the work. I'll go to uh, where is it? Atlantic City. Okay. Um anyway, so a great job, Donald, but the pain doesn't stop there for poor Donald. Macy's has now said it will officially cut ties with Donald Trump. Uh, and uh, I don't know if that's meant as a pun or not, because he actually sells Donald Trump ties at Macy's. Ties and suits and other business attire. The company released a statement Wednesday morning saying, uh, quote, Macy's is a company that stands for diversity and inclusion. We have no tolerance for discrimination in any form. We welcome all customers and respect for the dignity of all people is a cornerstone of our culture. We are disappointed and distressed by recent remarks about immigrants from Mexico. We do not believe the disparaging characterizations portray an accurate picture of the many Mexicans, Mexican-Americans, and Latinos who have made so many valuable contributions to the success of our nation. In light of statements made by Donald Trump, which are inconsistent with Macy's values, 
we have decided to discontinue our business relationship with Trump and will phase out the Trump menswear collection, which has been sold at Macy's since 2004. Wow. Macy's has been selling his crap since two for 11 years now. So he lost that contract as well on his first day out as a presidential candidate. Now, you would think that uh, being fired by NBC, being fired by Univision, losing your broadcasters, losing your hosts, losing the country of Mexico as a participant in this pageant, losing a huge contract with Macy's for your crap business clothes, uh, that, uh, you know, that this would make voters think, well, you know what, maybe... Maybe he's not such a good uh, uh, candidate for president of the United States. Maybe we're not interested in someone out there who wants to blow all his relationships with all his customers on day one. But no, it's not stopping the Republican voters. And we told you this on that very same day, on day one. Uh, since then, uh, since everyone was regarding him as a joke, he is not a joke to Republican voters. He vaulted into second place in now two different polls in New Hampshire, just behind Jeb Bush. And now we have yet another new poll out of Quinnipiac, uh, Quinnipiac University poll. Iowa voters uh, now uh, are also putting their, uh, giving their approval to the Donald as he soars to number two in the Iowa GOP poll. Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker saw his lead over the muddled field shrink in Iowa where support among likely GOP caucus participants for him is at 18%, down from 21% in May. Walker is expected to formally enter the race uh, soon, actually July 13, so the day after the universe, Miss Universe pageant and the day before the All-Star game. That's when Scott Walker is getting it. Uh, but billionaire and former reality TV star Donald Trump came in tied with former neurosurgeon ten, uh, Dr. Ben Carson at 10% each with Rand Paul and Senator Ted Cruz following closely at nine. So he has leaped into second in Iowa, Donald Trump has. He's second in New Hampshire. And as I said, on day one, you can misunderestimate Donald Trump at your own peril. The Republican Party has a very real problem on their hands, and its name is Donald Trump. We will continue to uh, follow the story of Trump mentum and uh, and Trump mania and Trump disaster as it continues in the days ahead. My thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess Cynthia Cohn, to my guest David Dayan of Salon and the Fiscal Times, and of course, as always, my thanks to you for sharing part of your day or night with us. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's program, you can always download it at bradblog.com or at iTunes, where we hope you will continue to give us good reviews. It does help other people find our show. Uh, and you can and should find and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. We'll see you soon. Good luck, world.